back to another episode of Closing the Loop. My name is John Vallis, and it's my pleasure to introduce today's guest, Harry Suddock. Harry is the VP of Strategy at Grid, a company which procures low-cost renewable energy to build, manage, and operate a growing portfolio of vertically integrated Bitcoin mining facilities. Harry is incredibly passionate and knowledgeable about the Bitcoin mining industry and extremely dedicated to the cause of Bitcoin generally. I invited him on the show to discuss the mining ecosystem, the impact he believes it will have on energy companies and markets, and what the implications may be for humanity more broadly. Finally, I'd like to invite you to listen to this episode on one of the many podcasting 2.0 apps that are currently available. Closing the Loop is dedicated to advancing technologies that promote individual sovereignty, and building means of censorship-resistant communications and publishing is a critical component of that. By using a podcasting 2.0 app like Breeze Wallet or Sphinx Chat, you stream sats directly to the contributors of this show in amounts you determine with no middleman. For this show, Harry has chosen to opt for a kind of reverse sponsorship by directing his stream of sats to the Human Rights Foundation. As a result, by listening to this podcast in a podcasting 2.0 app, you'll not only be learning about the transformational potential of Bitcoin mining, but you'll also be supporting an organization who engages in the tireless work of championing the cause of freedom around the world. Pretty cool, right? Anyways, thanks in advance for the support and enjoy the show. All right, Harry, thanks for uh, coming on the pod, man. I'm looking forward to this discussion. Thanks, John, for having me. I appreciate it. So, you know, we were just discussing how opaque uh, the Bitcoin mining industry is for people, but also how a lot of us that pay attention to this space are starting to get the impression that it's about a lot more than just securing the network. As important as that is, uh, there's a, it seems like mining is going to have a lot of other applications and implications as it develops. And uh, I thought you were one of the best people to come on and uh, you know, have a chat about that stuff. So for a little bit of context for people that aren't familiar with you or, or Grid yet, why don't you give us the brief introduction to you both? Uh, sure, appreciate it. Um, so I'm, I'm Harry Sudok. I'm the VP of Strategy for Grid Infrastructure. Uh, what that what that means is that we're we're a Bitcoin mining company, um, and we take that uh, a we take the responsibility incredibly seriously, and b we think that uh, North America is the best place in the world to build a portfolio of mining sites, um, which is what we've been doing over the last several years, uh, and with you know with every intention of accelerating that growth um, coming into the future here. But you know, but we didn't name ourselves Grid, uh, grid Bitcoin Mining. We named ourselves grid infrastructure because, you know, we, we believe that Bitcoin mining is going to be that touch point between, you know, the world of Bitcoin and the world of physical infrastructure that makes sort of the modern quality of life exist. Um, and so we think a lot about, you know, energy density per capita. We think a lot about, um, you know, the deflationary effect of technology. We think a lot about um, what does it mean um, to live in a, in a society that, that marches forward um, and how do we leverage the, you know, the gifts of the elegant Bitcoin design to help um, be a lever that pushes us further in that direction a little bit faster? Uh, in the meantime, you know, we, we believe that Bitcoin is one of these um, you know, wildly important technologies and assets. Um, and so we're dedicated to, uh, to building an incredible balance sheet of both mining sites, energy infrastructure and Bitcoin. Wow, that's extremely well put. How, what, what are the, what's the scope and nature of the operations as it stands today? If you can share, I know you you keep 
you know, you, you don't necessarily broadcast everything that you're doing, but what's the nature of what you guys are doing today, just in terms of uh, operations wise? Yeah, we're running, you know, we're running multiple sites uh, in multiple states. Um, you know, that's that's about the degree that I can share sort of around, right. around what, what we've done and what we're building, um, you know. Stationary sites? Yes. Right. And so this would be using whatever energy source is available to you, not necessarily natural gas, not necessarily hydro, not necessarily grid, just whatever, wherever the, the cheapest energy is. Is that how you determine things? Or I'm sure there's other considerations. Yeah. So, you know, we're, we're, hot, we're hot blooded American capitalists. And, and so what that means for us is that, you know, we seek out the power that best unlocks the business model, which is turning, you know, electrons into hash into sats. Um, that's like the, that's the basic physics of what we do. Um, mm -hmm. where those electrons come from is a really hot topic. Uh, certainly in, in, you know, TradFi circles, certainly in, you know, the environmentalist communities, um, that are out there. And, you know, we have this, we have this very happy, um, benefit of not having to compromise. So we, you know, Bitcoin is, Bitcoin is no compromise money. We get to use no compromise energy, um, which for us means that, it is overwhelmingly carbon free, um, but that's an economic decision, um, and it's also a, a uh, you know corporate governance decision. So we don't feel like there's a misalignment between those two objectives, where you know there's a reason why you know the hydro dam picks up the phone and calls us because they need a revenue enhancement strategy. It's because we are a unique buyer and they've got a unique energy asset, and the mapping of those two unique um, market behaviors together. Uh, is the unlock. That's why we have a differentiated business model. It's because of those energy relationships and our ability to map the unique properties of a Bitcoin miner onto unusual, you know, energy assets. Some say that means stranded. Some say that means, um, you know, a, a challenging merchant market environment on where they can sell their megawatt hours. You know, but but for us, it's about bringing a, a really special business model to the table and becoming, you know, the best customer they could have ever dreamed of. How did you get into this business? <laughs> uh, happy, you know, not not happy accident, but happy serendipity. Um, you know, so I during during college, I um, had an opportunity to go work at a fintech. Uh, interned there for two summers, graduated, you know, and we were doing like like big data analytics um, for 150 hedge funds. You might have heard of uh, some of them on Bitcoin now, but uh, they didn't then. Um, and were you responsible for changing that? No, I wish. <laughs> I wish they're uh, they're they're smarter than me, and their their pay grades is a little higher um, for now. But uh, hey. <laughs> but you know, but they you know the the opportunity to dig into the technology side of those businesses showed me basically what the guts of the existing financial system look like from a reporting perspective, from a functionality perspective, um, from the like the rails that they run on. You know, so, you know, I, I don't know if it would shock you or not, but, you know, at the end of the day, the, you know, the information that drives the next morning's margin decision. So whether or not you have to post tens or hundreds of millions of dollars in collateral, that's a PDF in an email that happens at the end of the day. Um, and so, like, these are not sophisticated technical systems. Mm -hmm. um, and so there was a there was a disillusioning process for me. Um, that happened that that said like this system is not built on bedrock this system is built on spreadsheets um, and so if we're going to do what we've done 
you know, for the information superhighway of going from, you know, libraries to the internet, if we're going to do that for finance, you know, we need to build on bedrock and, and this ain't going to work. Um, and so we need, you know, we need 10 X better technology solutions. I, I, you know, I'd, I'd heard of Bitcoin, you know, I'm, I'm kind of the classic case of like getting three touches. Everybody uh, is. <laughs> you know, the, the first touch was high school where like the kid who was like part of anonymous who was trying to take down Scientologists, like got a got a, you know, windbreaker FBI knock. And, and he was like the first person who told me about Bitcoin, of course. Right. Uh, the second was like, you know, the kids in college buying drugs. Yeah. The third was, uh, was at, at this fintech company, like the guy, the guy who was like most, you know, most junior on the desk was like, I gave my buddy five grand and he's like day trading Bitcoin for me. I was like, okay, you know, <laughs> not going to pay attention in any of those three cases. <laughs> But then, you know, got deeper into it and started to say, like, oh, this is the bedrock that I've been thinking about. Yeah. Um, this has actually been built in parallel and been built way better than I could have ever thought of. You know, it's and, so funny, just to, just to jut in for one sec, but it's so funny how, like, unpersuasive the initial touch points can be because they come from such weird angles. Like, like you, the three that you just mentioned, and we all have our stories where it comes from a place of, like, such little credibility that you, that the lack of credibility conveys over to the thing that is being proposed to you. And you're like, ah, you ignore it, you know? And I think the other part that makes it difficult, uh, sometimes for people to really get Bitcoin on, on first pass is it's such a paradigm shift. I mean, it's, it's so completely different than anything that we've ever had. So there, you don't have like a framework for identifying something like Bitcoin. And then furthermore, you know, one of the summing blocks for me was allowing myself to believe that something like this now exists because, you know, I was a, a critic of the existing legacy financial system and how central banking worked and all that kind of stuff. And I, it, it took me a while to accept that a solution to the quote unquote money problem that had plagued humanity effectively forever in various forms and in various stages had now seemed to have been solved or at least the best chance ever at solving that. And like, it's a weird thing to allow yourself to believe that, you know, I, I, it, 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 it requires a reframing of a lot of stuff to, to really be able to get it. I, I love that. I love that, that we are living through a period of time where there is a true technical, social game, theoretic innovation happening in front of us that mm -hmm. works. And, and it's our job to accept that the world has changed. Exactly. Yeah. You know, Mar Marty Bent says all the time that, you know, Bitcoin, Bitcoin changes you. You don't change Bitcoin. Um, and it's just the most it's been the most accurate for, yeah. for me. You know, talk about a shift in time preference, a shift in health, a shift in perspective, a shift in relationships. Um, you know, it does all of those things and it just does it by existing. You know, you can run into the rock as many times as you want and, you know, you'll end up getting hurt, but the rock can't move it. <laughs> yeah, I, I totally agree. And it's something I love to explore. And, it, you know, it is the, the proverbial orange pill that often gets talked about. It's, it's a reframing of your perception of so many things. And because money is so fundamental, I mean, it's no wonder that it reframes so many things because, you know, a lot of stuff boils down to money because money is how we represent, you know, uh, value in, in society and value is, in, is, is integral to who we are. And we measure value through our own limitations and the sacrifices that we have to make to, uh, to have the control over value and to direct the flow of value, you know? And so of course, when that fundamental mechanism that can 
communicates value changes, it's going to, it's going to cause, you know, very meaningful uh, and deep changes to the individual, you know? So it, it's, the rabbit hole goes deep there too, you know. I, I would I would offer you this, um, which I've thought about a lot, which is you know I hear all all the time that you know money is important because it's half of every transaction, um, and I push that further and say that time is half of every transaction. Mm-hmm. If we if we can just swap money for time and then make it make money aspirational to get as close to an approximation of time as we possibly can, then we start to understand like the, the deep grokking of opportunity cost. Yeah, that's exactly. And our time is, is, is limited in an absolute way. Right. And so we've never had something to, to map to that because money is, we're trying to find something to map our, our own limitations to so that we can trade them effectively. And we've never been able to find something that could precisely reflect our own limitations. And therefore we never had a perfect means of exchanging our own, uh, you know, our own time and, and communicating value in that way. And now we have something that it seems like we can accurately map our own limitations to it because it's limited in a commensurate way to ourselves. And what happens next is, uh, (laughs) who knows, you know, it's, it's going to get stranger than I think even, even those of us down in the depths of the rabbit hole can, can really imagine. Yeah, we, we've we've entered sort of the the you know it, the, the quadrant of the unknown unknown is yeah. like where we've spent all our time now. <laughs> That's what makes it so exciting. Yeah. Uh, but but back to your back to your story, you know how did how did you ultimately get into the mining aspect of all this stuff? I sent a cold DM on Telegram to our founder and CEO um, Trey Kelly. Uh, you know he was in a he was in a you know this was this was. Um, mid mid to late 2018 you know telegram groups were were you know the thing that was happening this i think they still still are to some degree but um he posted a few you know really interesting thought-provoking questions about mining um i've been doing some analysis over sort of the the increase in efficiency in hardware just because i was i was a curious person um and offered to meet up for coffee and, and share some of my analysis and you know we we walked out of that conversation um, I think with an understanding that, that we wanted to work together. And so I joined grid short, you know, shortly thereafter, um, end of 18 and, and it's been kind of a whirlwind since. Yeah. What, what has been the process of you coming from not an, not an engineering or, or energy background whatsoever. And, and now when I hear you speak, and even when we open this pod, you know, you seem to have a very intimate, you know, fundamental understanding of, you know, what energy is and the role it plays in Bitcoin and all that kind of stuff. I mean, what's what's the learning curve been like for you? And, and share some of the insights around what you've learned and, and how you approach this industry or this this process, this aspect of Bitcoin. Yeah. So it's it's both um, it's both a huge it's been a, a hugely steep learning curve, um, you know, and and I'd say like there's two two great fortunate um circumstances to it for me. One is that I've had access to true experts. Um, and we've been able to hire some really true energy experts on our team. You know, they've got 20, 30 year careers in energy markets, in utilities, in, you know, rate structuring stuff. And, and you know, it's a giving it sort of a, a, an appreciative lens that, that this world of energy um, is an incredibly nuanced and sophisticated place and, and, you know, very technical, um, and very detailed and the details really, really matter. 
So having a healthy appreciation for what it actually is you're trying to learn about and, and get involved in. Um, and then the other is that I have the, the tremendous benefit of having been an amateur. Um, and I think that like anytime you get to be an amateur, it's this huge gift where you don't have any bad habits. You don't have any industry preconceived notions. You don't have any baggage. Um, and so I got to come into this world, you know, top tabula rasa and, and just started asking questions and get, and, you know, getting and staying curious about, you know, the right things and, and having a kind of a nose for the business side of it. Um, and trying to say like, you know, a question that, you know, maybe a utility or an energy generation, you know, partner hasn't asked themselves in the last 20 years is how do we generate more revenue? Because they've been selling market to, you know, into a market that has a market price or they've been, you know, selling into sort of a, a very, very, um, well-defined lane of business models. Mm -hmm. You know, so if you're, a, if you're running a car plant and you're negotiating an energy contract, there's kind of one way to do it. If you're a steel mill and you're negotiating an energy contract, there's kind of one way to do it. And it's pretty similar to the car company. So, you know, we have the tremendous benefit of being a really different type of consumer. Um, and that offers us uh, a, a huge opportunity when we talk to, to the folks on the energy side of the table. Um, we say to them, like, like, you know, don't tell me what you think I'm going to ask for. Tell me the things that matter to you. And so the negotiation really becomes a discussion about value um, and, and an ability for them to come back to, to you know, the drawing board that maybe hadn't, they hadn't been in front of in 20, 30, 40 years and say, all right, let's dream up your, your favorite customer profile and how can we map our business onto that and how can we create you know, a positive sum win for both of us if we, if we do that. Um, and so it's really an exercise in negotiation um, and, and a, a creative opportunity to work with, with folks on the other side of the table who, um, who haven't seen anything like us before. I'm assuming the energy production and utility industry is, is highly regulated in most places. And that's been, maybe that's kind of jaded them to, uh, market operations in the last, you know, several decades. And I'm just wondering if that is the case and you can correct me if I'm wrong, What's it been? What has been their response to working with someone that frames the discussion as you just did? That comes to them and, and offers what you guys offer. Like, what kind of reactions do you get? And bring me into the discussion there. At first, they just don't believe you. They like they like really don't believe that you can consume energy the way that you tell them you can. Um, and so for us, that that's gotten easier because we get to show them operating data. Um, but but more so, it's just like you know, having that first breakthrough kind of conversation that says like, we're just, we're just here to consume your cheapest megawatt hours. We just want the cheapest ones. You know, every other, every other piece of the discussion we're willing to be flexible on, but like not price. Um, and so they, you know, that kind of gets them there. And, and, you know, frankly, like as with all things in this, Bitcoin does the heavy lifting for us, you know? these conversations were harder at 3K than they are at 40K. Um, right. And so, you know, the, the further mainstream adoption that's happened, the further comfort there is with like, you know, Bitcoin is moving from sort of speculative, you know, tech, you know, tech bro nonsense towards like, wow, this is, this is maybe something that's going to matter and, and maybe matter a lot. Um, that, that was, that was a big shift um, from the first conversation we've had to the ones that, you know, really this year has been different mm -hmm. uh, for us. 
Um, you know, but, but I think the, the big, you know, the big part of those discussions is just getting them, getting them bought in to, to us. Like energy is, is really a small, it's a small club. Um, it's a, it's a person to person conversation. You're not dealing with a faceless conglomerate. You're dealing with people. Um, so the more you're able to humanize your operation, you know, we love, you know, we love our team. We think that we've hired, you know, one of the best teams in the world to do this work. Um, and we've been able to pull people from all walks of life. So, you know, we're, we're trying to go to the energy sources with uh, where people have a relationship, an existing relationship. They have an existing, you know, friendship. They're part of the same, you know, church group. They're part of the same, you know, golf club, whatever, whatever the case may be. Um, you know, they both serve together the, the, you know, the, the communities that we operate in are incredibly small. This is a local business. This is, you know, this is not, you know, we're not, we're not, you know, going out and building, um, you know, it, it, it's hard. It's, it's really hard to articulate and describe just how much of a local business this feels like when you're doing it. Yeah. I've actually heard that from other people that operate in the space, which, you know, incidentally is, is probably why integrity and honesty and how you operate is probably so important to success, you know, in addition to all the ways, you know, operational efficiencies. But, you know, I, I've heard that, uh, yeah, I mean, if it's a small club, you don't want to burn bridges, you know, you want people to know what you're about. So these energy producers, they sell, you know, a, they sell to whatever towns and manufacturer manufacturing facilities and stuff like that and then you come to them so and you say you want you want the cheapest energy they have which obviously everybody would want that right if you're making cars if you're making steel everyone wants the cheapest energy so are the are the energy producers that you approach i mean do they just have excess that they can't sell and therefore you guys can come in and buy uh the excess that they produce or or what's why sell to you if there's another buyer at a higher price? Yeah. So, so there's a lot of different answers for that, um, depending on where you're operating. So if you're operating in, you know, heavily regulated market, then it's just about dealing with excess in the infrastructure that's been developed. So a mismatch between supply and demand. Um, if you're dealing with a more liquid marketplace, like, you know, an or a merchant or any, any of the merchant marketplaces that are out there, um, then it's really more about, you know, flexible consumption. It's about, you know, it's about trimming the peaks. It's about doing, you know, doing all of sort of the flexible load consumption stuff that that's been going on out there. Um, but doing so in a way where you're really able to maximize seasonality and intraday, um, usage, the, the, you know, the example that I like to use around the car company is that the car company, you know, can't change its behavior for, you know, a 20% cost item, you know? So, you know, if you think about if the, if a car company spends a hundred dollars to make a car, maybe $20 of that is energy. 80 of that is parts and labor. Um, and you know, all of the other stuff that goes into, um, spitting out the car at the end of the assembly line, because the other components of their, um, of their cost of goods sold is so, um, is so significant. You can't, you know, you can't run a shift from midnight to 8 a.m because you'll blow out your labor your labor costs, which is such a larger percentage of, of the car being built. Whereas for us, the energy is the overwhelming cost center for the Bitcoins produced. And so we're able to operate much more flexibly 
um, as an energy purchaser because the energy is such a larger piece of the inputs. Right. And so <clears throat> this idea of Bitcoin mining being a, like a load balancer for these energy producers, can you kind of explain that concept and the benefit that that provides for them? Absolutely. Um, so when you think about, uh, you know, think about how an energy grid works, like at a, at a deep and fundamental level, there's, there's really three components. There's a turbine that spins that shoots electrons onto a wire. The wire moves those electrons very quickly to a substation. The substation transforms the electrons into a shape that can be delivered to your house. That's basically how energy works um, at, a, at a super high level. The number of electrons that show up at your house are not equal to the number of electrons that you use on average. The number of electrons that become available to you need to basically be the number that you would need, and I say you in aggregate of the entire system, on you know, the coldest day of the last 25 years, or the coldest, the hottest day of the last 10 years. You know, what, some, some extreme peak scenario. Um, so the system has to be over-engineered in order to provide for those scenarios, and you bear the cost of that over-engineering on a daily basis because you basically amortize it over all the consumption. Right. Um, the reason that it's built that way is because A, the utility has a contractual obligation to deliver service to you, and B, if they don't deliver service to you, you know, that's not, you know, that's not your, you know, your toaster not working, that's, you know, grandma's dialysis not working. Um, and so there's an incredible, um, uh, the, the, the link in between modern quality of life and modern energy availability is inextricable. And so because we need this level of energy density, the systems that we build and design um, provide for more than we use in any reasonable period of time. So the, the, way, you know, the way that that works from a curtailment and a load balancing perspective is we can add the Bitcoin miner to the grid um, and that becomes a source of found revenue with the contractual nature of the Bitcoin miners power purchase agreement being that when we enter those edge case scenarios, we curtail, we pull back. And so, you know, if you think of sort of a, a bell curve, um, you know, you're only really exposed at that, at that one, you know, slice down the middle when you hit that apex, the rest of the time you're able to sell the energy with no impact to the system. And so what, is, what does a community get to do when they're able to sell, you know, 10, 20, 30% more energy all the time? What does that revenue go towards? It go to mm -hmm. goes towards more stability in the system. It goes towards better delivery to houses. It goes to more efficient transmission. It goes to new sources of generation that perhaps, you know, check an ESG box that otherwise would not get the budget to develop. Um, it changes the economics of the energy grid in a way that hasn't happened you know, in, in, you know, 40, 50, 60 years since it was really rolled out, you know, after World War II. Um, and so this is a, this is a system-wide upgrade on the demand side. And that's really important when a market structure changes at a fundamental level. Um, what we get to do with those revenues has a tremendous impact on where we're headed. Yeah, that's incredible. You know, just being able to basically suck up all that inefficiency that's necessarily a part of the system to provide for the reliability of it, right? But that <clears throat> causes so much effectively, you know, if not waste, you know, uh, more it's than insurance. Right, it's energy right. insurance, right? Right. Yeah. And now you can, 
reduce the burden of that insurance because you can you can you can fill that gap. It's it's incredible. And then so what what two things? What do you think the implications of that are vis-a-vis energy markets uh, and sources of energy and energy investments and stuff like that? And when you when you when you explain, because I, I, I want to be in the room, right? I want to be in the, the boardroom or the meeting room when you have these conversations <clears throat> with any energy producers. And I presume they're intimately aware of how everything works and the problems that they have and all that kind of stuff. And when you just kind of like slam down on the table that this is here and, and not only, you know, and it, it presumably resolves a problem that they've just had to accept for so long, what, what's the response? They want to do it. So there, there's 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 three. We'll take you to the negative first. There's yeah. three major areas of pushback. The first is regulatory. So the first is, am I allowed to structure a contract with you in the way that I want? Um, and and there's some open questions. And you know the beautiful nature of the balkanized grid that we live within is that you know what works in one area doesn't work in another. And and you know it's it's about you know you you actually do have to reinvent the wheel in every energy market. Um, from a regulatory perspective, the second, and that's good for us because you know we're the experts, and so we get to build a great mode because um, we've done it a bunch. The the second um, major area of pushback is technical, so it's okay. Like we get what you're trying to do from a customer perspective. How do we, as a provider, actually deliver you the energy you need with the safeguards in place that like makes the thing work? Um, and so, so there's a technical hurdle. Um, and then the third, and, and this is really the area where I think um, there's the most opportunity, is, okay, we get it. Like, you can do this. We understand your business model now. We think we've crossed the regulatory hurdle. We think we've crossed the, you know, the engineering hurdle. Now we got to deal with counterparty risk. Like, we're getting into bed with you on, ten, on tens of millions of dollars of energy that are supposed to be sold over the next, you know, you know however many years. Is that all going to work out? Like, is the are, it, are you a credible are you a credible operator? Are you a credible counterparty? Are you a trustworthy management team? Are you going to be able to deliver on this? Um, and that's where you know that's where we really really um, have spent time investing. Is that you know back in back in 2018 when you know Bitcoin was was rocketing and um, you know every everyone under the sun was looking for for power to come and build a Bitcoin mine. You know, everybody showed up at the at the doorstep of the energy producer and said, "I want 100 megawatts." Um, and Bitcoin was at 20k. And by the time Bitcoin was 3k, nobody was saying anything. Um, when that happened, we said, "We don't want 20. We don't want 100 megawatts. We want five. We want to prove to you that we know what we're doing. We're going to build this thing." And and you know, I didn't I didn't know any part of how a Bitcoin mine actually was going to go from you know a, a blueprint to a terahash, um, you know, but we, but we said, you know, we're committing to a size that no matter the Bitcoin price, we're going to be able to figure this out. And so Bitcoin went to 20K and we said, we want five megawatts and Bitcoin went to 3K and they said, you know, I bet you're going to leave with everyone else. And we said, no, we still want five megawatts. We want to go build, we want to go build what we said we're going to build. Um, and, and so it was really an exercise for us in just showing up and delivering on what we said, um, and, and doing it. And then the time after that, doing it a little bigger or a lot bigger. And then the time after that, doing it, you know, a lot bigger, but with a different energy partner and, and, you know, continuing to, to, you know, deliver on a crawl, walk, run type of cadence rather than saying, 
you know, I need 500 megawatts or I'm not going to, or I'm not going to pick up the phone. You know, that, that's mm-hmm. not, that's not what we do or, 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 or why we do it. We, you know, we do it because we think we can build phenomenal operating businesses in every place that we choose to locate. And how has this, <clears throat> how do you think this will impact the industry itself? You know, when these, oh, actually <clears throat> to, before that, at this point, you know, presumably you've been working with some of these providers for a while. They trust you guys. They're starting to understand Bitcoin. It's not such a dark and, and mysterious sort of thing anymore. Uh, I, I presume your model started as purchasing power to mine Bitcoin. Are any of these uh, energy partners wanting to become other types of partners? Like, do they want to be earning the sats that they're helping to, uh, you know, to procure? I would say not yet. They want to. They will want to. I think they. I think they don't know how to. I think they don't know how to do it. Right. You know. You know. From a from an internal governance perspective, I think there is interest in. You know. What, what we hear a lot of is like. You know. Maybe one day down the road, we'll figure out a way to participate in the upside. I said, great. Yeah. You know. Or I'm. I'm happy to have that discussion. You know. As long as that's in service of buying cheap power. Right. I'm in. Right. What that actually looks like in a in a in practice, um, I think we have yet to we have yet to fully develop. But I think that you know, you know, Bitcoin makes a lot of this stuff really obvious over time, and you know, over time that's going to become you know a piece of the a piece of the negotiation for sure. Yeah, how do you think this load balancing, this you know, buyer of last resort, as it's sometimes called, of energy, uh, impacts transforms the trajectory of uh, energy companies in the world today? Well, I think, I think that or resources, even energy resources. Yeah. You know, let's take a moment and talk about the existing state for a sec, which is that, you know, I think that what we're going to first go through is an optimization exercise where all the existing megawatt hours are going to go from partially utilized to fully utilized. So the existing infrastructure is is wildly under monetized at the moment. We're solving that. The next piece is going to be um, a re uh, reallocation of existing assets. So they're going to be they're going to be slow movers um, whose assets are going to get bought by faster movers as they understand the new landscape of selling energy. The third is going to be around development, um, about taking you know opportunities to develop new infrastructure um, and deciding how, when, and where to develop them and having a, you know, Bitcoin mining go to market partner for any of them is going to be, is going to become, you know, standard operating standard practice. Yeah. You know, so we're already seeing this, um, you know, I'm, I'm an investor and advisor with, uh, with compass mining and, you know, they're doing this with, uh, with Oaklo. Right now, so the small nuclear generators—that's um, the plan. You know, the plan is to go to market and have a have a Bitcoin mining buyer attached right. to all of that generation from day one. I think that you know, it's no—it's no surprise that it's it's happening at the at the edge um, around some of the nuclear stuff that's happening. But you know, but I think that I think that um, there's a lot of opportunity to to go to market sooner with some of these other. Um, you know, certainly with the existing infrastructure that's out there. But if you're building, if you're building a new, you know, a new 
energy generation plan of any kind, a new solar farm, a new wind farm, a new hydro dam, like how can you not go to market with us? Right. doesn't make any it's sense. Just, right. It just totally improves the economics of any project. Any project. Presumably. And so yeah, am I right in assuming that this will foster probably more innovation and more energy abundance and you know, the market will find the best sources of energy, be they waste gas, be they hydro, solar, whatever. Like this, this just seems like it's going to bring such an upgrade in the form of how economic calculation is done and the, 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 the true finding of truth of the best energy. And as a civilization, I mean, that's what benefits us, as you said at the beginning. I mean, we civilization improves the more energy we use. And so if we can be more efficient at locating and extracting energy, then presumably that is the best thing that we could do for civilization. Couldn't could not agree more, right? Like the 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 first misnomer about energy is that it's finite. We have more energy than we need. We do not have a great means of extracting it. But there's no such thing as a shortage. There's a there's a shortage of innovation around extraction and deployment. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's you know that and and the way that you fix those sorts of deficits are with better incentives. You know what provides incredible incentives? Bitcoin mining. Mm-hmm. It's the best incentive that we've ever had to, to bootstrap human abundance. It's so fast. I mean, also, and this has gotten some press recently just because it's so cool, but imagine like a stranded energy asset of which there are many, right? Because the, the biggest thing with energy is, is getting the energy to market. And if you're in the middle of nowhere, then you lose too much energy and it becomes non-economical and the infrastructure is too expensive and et cetera, et cetera. But now you could take, you know, the, to use a cliche, but like a hydro dam in the Congo, right? Where that, that energy could never get to market anywhere that needs it. But you put Bitcoin mining rigs there and you connect to the internet via Starlink and you're generating the best form of money the, the world has ever seen that because it's money, you can then turn into any other resource on the planet, right? So energy, energy anywhere become, is basically turned into maximal optionality. So you can now, I mean, any energy resource can now be the, the foundation of a society, a, a, a city, uh, anything. You, people come to the energy now, right? Versus the energy going to the people. We need we need to give credit to the last three to four hundred years um, around why why does our and and let's just be U.S. centric for the moment because um, it's what I know best. But you know why why are the network of cities and ports the way they are? Is because all of these places were built when we moved things on water. Mm-hmm. Water was energy. Transportation was the access to fungible goods and services. And so what we did is we, we basically shoehorned ACDC power on top of a port system. And we said, okay, we're, we're going to be able to approximately get good enough at generating and transmitting energy to map on top of this existing geographical structure of economic hubs. And that works okay. It is not optimal. What we have not done is arranged our society around energy density as the port system of the future. And so my guess is that if we're going to have an opportunity to rewrite some of that, and, and some of it is, you know, 
you're not going to pick up New York City and move it, you know, to whatever, to the Ozarks. It's not happening. Um, but you might take 10 to 15 percent of the New York City population and move it. Mm -hmm. And you might do that to all of the major cities because, you know, what is what is lower cost access to energy mean? It means a reduction across the board of everything. It means right. all of the healthcare, all of the education, all of the manufacturing, all of the jobs, all of the all of the investment opportunity, 10 to 15 percent cheaper, maybe. And so there's a massive incentive if you know if you're if, if you want to have some great arbitrage, just move to a place where that's happening. And so, you know, then then the wheels of innovation turn and then the wheels of time and compounding turn and you wake up in 50 to 75 years and the landscape has quite largely changed. Who remembers when Austin, Texas was not a big city? Everyone. It happened really fast. Same thing with Nashville. Same thing with, you know, with Charlotte. Same thing with all of these, all of these, you know, and I, you know, I won't call them tier two cities, but I call them emerging cities. You know, they're, they're the ones who are taking forward thinking talent from pre-existing hubs and saying, there is more opportunity here. There is a lower cost of living. There is a higher upside. And so people are migrating. Yeah. Um, and if we continue to see migration patterns along these lines, one of the vectors that people are going to migrate along are going to be energy density per capita and the price of that energy of which Bitcoin mining is going to bootstrap into the future. Yeah. It's 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 so compelling to think that in the future, if you have, you know, like a prime energy resource, then you can just bring the world to you. You know, like if you can produce energy, abundant energy cheaply, then Bitcoin mining will allow you it is the portal to the rest of the world. Basically, if you can generate those those sats from cheap energy, then you can bring the rest of the world to you. It's and I have two, two thoughts around this. Um, one of them is that we cannot undersell how much, uh, how important this transitory period is. Mm -hmm. And that the, the, moving, the moving and shaking that's happening right now um, will largely be the most seismic change any of us could ever possibly imagine seeing in our lifetimes. Which moving and shaking in terms of what? Population, currency asset valuation, you know, all of oh, just, these, just change in general that's happening change. right now. The world right. is moving massively beneath our feet. Yeah, um, and I, I think that, you know, because it's an enormous thing, an enormous place, you know, the feeling of the tremor is smaller than the impact of the tremors future. Got it. Um, that's number one. The second is that like the Citadel meme is the most under one of the most underrated memes in Bitcoin. <sighs> yeah. Like, that future is is like so fully baked. <laughs> I couldn't agree with you more. And with each passing day, it seems like it, it it's it's uh, we all want it to to arrive sooner, you know, and the, and the means of having it arrive sooner uh, are being developed and making it possible. But I'd love to hear you you put some more meat on that bone why and what does it look like for you and what's the importance and why is it happening sooner and all that? Um, I think it's happening sooner because, uh, because there's very little attention being paid to providing like high quality of accessible life. Right. Like, like I think that, you know, we're, we're dealing with, um, we're dealing with an environment where, you know, how, 
How are the emergent properties from a society serving the person with good intentions who wants to work hard and increase economic mobility for themselves and their family and and give you know the generation younger than them a better shot at the plate than they got? You know, how is how are how are you know, and I, and I say this very specifically and carefully that it is it is the job of the system to have emergent properties that that serve as a tailwind for that person specifically. Because then the, the innovative flywheel turns, the education flywheel turns, and I don't mean the higher education credentialism to flywheel. I mean the like, how do we know how to fix a motor with our hands flywheel? Yeah. Um, you know, that, that, you know, we, we, uh, I get, conf- I, I think that, you know, like I think about like the idea of quantum thought all the time, which is having two opposing opinions held in your mind that are both true at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them is that like we have massively devalued competence, um, but we've also massively overvalued competence, or we, we are in the process of massively over rewarding competence. You're going to have to quantumly explain that one. <laughs> so, uh, so we've basically we've gone through a 50 year cycle where we've said credentials over skills. Mm-hmm. Yeah, basically. Sure. What has that done? It's vastly over accrued wealth to the skilled. And so, you know, so we've, we've, uh, we've made being, we've made competence exceptional, um, in this really interesting way that I think Bitcoiners struggle to appreciate because we are, um, uh, we've basically been Trojan horsed into competence, you know, diet, physical fitness, having a you know, broad polymathic set of interests care for community and relationships and family. Um, we, you know, we have incredibly strong values. All of these things are like classic hallmarks of, of a high quality society. We've just been Trojan horsed into them by Bitcoin, but, but we've, but we've been dealing with this sort of macro environment that has replaced, um, the thing with the proxy for the thing. And so there's a, there's a fiat devaluation effect that we are just, we're just sort of getting to observe, um, more recently, which is that, you know, we've, we've been, we've been debasing, um, skills. Mm-hmm. There's been sort of a fiat skill debasement, um, that we've faced, uh, for a long time. And, you know, the introduction of Bitcoin back into the world, um, has real, has reoriented the, you know, why is it important to build balance sheet? It's important to build a, ba- a personal balance sheet because it is something that cannot be devalued over time. And it's an asset that will, you can, you can take with you. And so it's it's a you know balance sheet is is a, a core piece of mobility, of social mobility, you know, financial mobility, you know, and, and you know being future proof. The personal balance sheet only works if it is safe from debasement. And so by reintroducing an undebasable thing, we've given ourselves this incredible tool to reorient around competence and building of personal balance sheet over time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with that. And I, I think, and I don't need to tell you this, but the, the problem with the fiat system is because, you know, markets are supposed to identify and reward competence, right? But when you have a fiat system where there's so much intervention, either direct, you know, through regulations, subsidies, government spending, et cetera, or indirect through the inability of the money to properly reflect and signal actual behavior, uh, in the market and, and truth finding function of the market, then the, the, 
the the power it has to uh, reinforce competence and reward the proper competence is greatly diminished. And I think that's what we've seen. And that's what's so exciting about Bitcoin is that, you know, the, 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 the money is what permits the market. You know, the, I think the Austrians and everyone all, or a lot of people always, you know, said, like, when are we going to have a, uh, you know, free markets and free market money? But, you know, if, if you don't have a free market money, then you can't have free markets. And if now that we have an incorruptible, as you say, undebasable free market money, um, then that I think it's all our hope that that will facilitate markets that are better at, at communicating truth and, and revealing and reinforcing competency. And of course, that's what we want because we want to reinforce competency because that's what provides better lives for ourselves and for everybody else. And, and there's, I want to go back to the energy for one sec with this, which is that the same way that, you know, it, it feels obvious to me now, um, but I don't think that it is, is that I am not a consumption minimalist. I am a quality of life maximalist, which means that I'm an energy density per capita supporter. Right. And, and that's good. That means that it's a, you know, energy is a tool for human flourishing. Market price discovery is a tool for human flourishing because it releases better quality products. Because if the, if the money is more precious, then someone needs to build something better to convince me to spend it. Mm -hmm. And, and at the end of the day, like, like I need people building, you know, goods and services that are there to hack my utility function. I need them to convince me to part with my sats. Yeah. And that's hard because I really like my sats. <laughs> and so you need to build something really, really awesome. Yeah. You know, which is going to raise the state of play for all of us, you know, the same way that, that and, and the way you do that is through innovation and through um, and through technological price deflation. Like these are the these are the gears that that grind the future, mm-hmm. um, you know, and and yeah, I, I use the example all the time just, you know, because I get the pushback. I'm like, well, you know, you, you always hear, you know, but the jobs, but what would have happened if we didn't prop it up? But what would have happened if we didn't bail out? Carnival Cruise Line got a bailout. We were told that the time that we put into earning our livings was worth debasing so that a cruise line for vacations could get bailed out. Mm -hmm. This is clown world stuff. This is not like this is... you, you, you know, I, I have a tremendous amount of empathy for the fact that that you know there are, there are terrible economic conditions that face people here and abroad. Tremendous amount of empathy for that. You didn't need to bail out Carnival Cruise. Yeah. Well, I totally agree. And th- again, this is what an incorruptible money permits: is a market where because markets have to be able to recycle capital properly lest they destroy capital stock rather than grow it. And I think that characterizes the, the period we're in now. We, there's so much intervention, and that's what fiat is, right? It's the avoidance of consequence, effectively, or the attempt to avoid it. The, 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 you know, the, it's kind of a sleight of hand to make you think you're avoiding consequences, but you're just shifting the consequence elsewhere. And if you, it, with the, the case that you just used is, if, if Carnival Cruises went bankrupt, 
as they should for improper management or not being not adequately planning for the future contingencies, et cetera. The boats don't go anywhere. They're still there. You know, the management just gets booted out and someone like you or I or someone who's, you know, really into that stuff will pick it up for 10 cents, 25 cents, whatever on the dollar, the, the, the worth of that capital. And they'll recycle that capital, make a better economic calculation, make a better investment, more properly meet the demands of the market in the, in the circumstances, in the economic cir circumstances that prevail. And they will take the entrepreneurial risk to, to generate value and therefore increase capital ultimately, right? Grow the capital stock by creating value. And what we've done across the board because of this fiat system that we're all subject to is allow capital stock to effectively be destroyed because of the incompetence and the ideology of people that control the money and the flows of money and the creation of money. And we're all worse off for it because it, not only in doing that do you detrimentally affect the creation of value and capital stock, but obviously you devalue the capital of people from whom you're the, the, the people whose capital you're taking in order to carry that, that act out, you know? So it, it's, it's bad in every conceivable way. It's the only way that it's good is, is the narrative of thinking that you've somehow made things better or, or avoided some, some pain for people, which it's just a complete lie. It's it's not true in the slightest. And it's and it's good for proximity to the Cantillon spigot. Yeah, sure. Sure. But Bitcoin changes that. <laughs> yeah. The the internet changed. You know, you know, the 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 internet changed it for information. Like I this is one of those um, you know, I I have I have I have normie friends still. What? Yeah. And, and, you know, some of the, some of the arguments they make are, is like, well, but you don't understand how different this is going to be. And my answer is always any more different than pre-internet to post-internet, which has happened in our lifetimes. Like the, the idea that the world can't change massively and rapidly is false. Mm -hmm. We are an incredibly adaptive and malleable species in, in, for, you know, we have 50 million years of evolution baked into our ability to adapt. We're really, really good at it, and and we're gonna get and you know we're gonna get better at it with the better technologies that are offered to us, um, of which Bitcoin is is you know the tip of that spear. But you know, but my ninety three year old grandfather has an iPhone that he uses. <laughs> like when when he was a kid they had what's called party lines because they couldn't get a phone jack into every house they would get a phone jack to a half of the block and then they would run individual phone lines that all shared the same central phone jack they, and and so if you heard another voice on the line you had to wait because it was you being used by the five or 10 houses around you so we've gone from that to him being able to access the entire library of congress on his phone Mm -hmm. And that's in 93 years, you know, the vast majority of that's happened in the last 25 for him. And so, you know, this, this argument that, that, you know, we as a species can't digest and tolerate enormous change, uh, along technological lines in a very short period of time is false. We are ready yeah. for this. 
I, I do think, you know, back to the competence and, and how that's fostered, though, I think it's possible there's a there's an underlying subconscious anxiety about a, a insufficient competence to adapt to that change because of the way that the sharp edges have been softened by the fiat system and how the mismatch between the signals that people are getting have led them to a place where they're not uh, congruent in terms of competency with the with the changes that are occurring in the market. And so naturally that would inspire an anxiety to whatever change, you know, because even though on the surface it seems like things are okay-ish, you know, especially if you're not paying attention, uh, but underlying is there's is almost like an awareness that um, I'm not competent or fit for this change that, that that's coming. And, and as a result, there's an incentive to avoid it. I think maybe. that's true. Maybe. Yeah, I think um, I think that there's I think there's fear and anxiety across the economic spectrum. And I think yeah. a lot of it is really well founded. I think that some of it is totally not well founded, but um you know, but 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 Bitcoin Bitcoin is, you know, the is the gear that grinds the world. Yeah. And it, it the Bitcoin mining industry is such a it's almost like the antithesis of what we've been talking about because it it's so fundamental. Like it there's we try to avoid nature in, in many cases, particularly in today's society. And, you know, part of the reason why we don't want we, we, you bail out Carnival Cruise is because you don't want people to lose their jobs. And, you know, that's hard and you want to act like you can avoid all those things. But, you know, energy is energy. Energy, as we said at the beginning, energy and time dictate everything. That's where the buck stops. And Bitcoin is just ruthlessly true at or ruthless at adhering to that truth and and aligning with it and trying to leverage it and use it to to optimal effect. Um, what kind of you know you said the, at the beginning that the Bitcoin energy rabbit hole is as deep as the Bitcoin money rabbit hole. You know, share with me what you see down there at the depths. Um, share with me how you see it in the future. Well, so the the. The thing I think about Bitcoin mining most most specifically that I love is just you can't fake it. You can't. You, there's no. There is no faking the proof of the work that you contribute to the network. It it is what it is, um, and you do your damn best. Um, and so I think that you know that's something that keeps me super super excited about what we're building, um, and and you know why we think that we're building one of the most important companies in the world, no doubt. Um, and, and, you know, then you go down, you know, you go down into that Bitcoin energy money rabbit hole and in there is, it's just, it's just like boundless opportunity. You know, I think that, I think that, you know, the, you know, the, the opportunity to work with, um, incredibly high integrity, high quality people, um, the ability to work with really smart people. Um, you know, I, I, I had a, a conversation recently about, um, like hiring basic thing. Um, and, and, you know, the guy I was talking to is, was saying that like, yeah, well like computer programming, like getting those people, you know, you know, hired and, and recruited is like really challenging. And I was like, we love, we love the developers that we have on our team and we're growing that team, um, right now. But I kind of get more excited about the people who are like in the shelves, like making sure the network is run, like all the wires are run, the electricians, the mechanical engineers, the electrical engineers. Like this is, you know, this is not a Silicon Valley, New York, you know, coastal startup. This is like bricks and sticks. This is like building stuff. This is like, you know, 
we hire, you know, I love, I love that, you know, they talk about the, uh, the contractors that we hire to, to smooth out the ground, dirt dogs, you know, the, the guy we hired to do our first site, um, he's, uh, he's, he's a character, but you know, but he's in his words, I have a third grade reading level, but I can speak to the dirt. And, you know, this is a person who is a, <laughs> a master of his craft. You know, he, yeah. he will flatten the ground and move the world under him, uh, literally, you know, to build something. Um, and that's not about, um, that's not about anything other than, than having spent, you know, 30, 40 years behind a backhoe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think that, you know, what gets me so excited is that the opportunity in doing things like that is here. Um, it's going to be built here in America. Um, we've got this incredible opportunity around the existing infrastructure that exists, that's out there today. Um, and we're going to be able to give it, you know, we're going to be able to breathe this whole sort of second act into it because of this, the, the business model is going to unlock the physical infrastructure in this, in this beautiful and incredible way. Um, and there's just going to be, there's just going to be this, these incredible, incredible businesses built alongside of, you know, what to me is one of the crown jewels of why our country works the way that it does. Why, why are the best internet companies in the world built here? Because we invested tens, if not hundreds of billions of dollars in laying fiber in the nineties, because we have, you know, we were able to deliver high quality, reliable energy to households for 350 million people. Like these are incredible feats of engineering and we're going to be able to breathe a second act into them because we've got sort of this second thing, this second wave coming behind the internet, which is the internet of money, which is Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's it's so fascinating because you said you know Bitcoin. There's no faking Bitcoin mining, right? It's it's just it's just energy, right? There's absolutely no way to fake it, and it's it's proof of work, right? And I can't help, and I'm sure I'm sure a lot of Bitcoiners see this, but. When the money is predi- is created out of a process like that, right? That can't be faked. Where the, the 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 work is necessary, unavoidable, because everything is layered on top of the money, and then because you know, as you said about your Sats later, it it required a tremendous amount of work for the Sats to be created in the first place. It cr- it, it cr- uh, required a tremendous amount of work for you to obtain the sats that you have. And so it like that foundation, because of how the money is created, bubbles up, I think, a society that's predicated on the same principle of proof of work. Counter that with what we have in the fiat system, where if the money is created with the click of a button, no work at all required and, you know, unfairness baked in, then naturally you get a society that doesn't treat the money that, that treats the money that way that that's influenced by how the money is created. You know, it's, it's like, seems unavoidable, seems obvious. And, uh, you know, it's so exciting to imagine what kind of a society will be built off of money that is so truthful in its grounding and how it's created. Exactly. It, it's, a, it's about, it's about putting, it's about putting that sort of the, I love the language around truth because, you know, to anybody who's ever lied to someone they care about, that you never forget it. It's, yeah. it's always there, and it's it's this poison in the well um, of that of that friendship relationship, you know, you know, parent child dynamic, whatever it is. The lie you can't get away from it, even if you think you're getting away from it. And so, mm-hmm. you know, there's this insidious quality on the negative side, and this incredible positive quality 
um, on the positive side that once you are able to, um, to, to, to sort of take that those first steps towards a more truthful version, towards a more, in, a more high integrity relationship, a more high integrity existence, like the compounding returns there are stuff that we can't imagine yet because we haven't had the opportunity. You know, we haven't had the, the opportunity for the, you know, the, the wheel of time to spin long enough to see, you know, we're, I think all about all the time about like like geometric functions where you go from point zero 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 one to point zero 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 two to point zero 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 four to point zero 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 eight and you're doubling each time, but it's just infinitesimally small because you haven't done it enough times yet mm. until the point when you get really big, mm-hmm. and then you know you only you know you, you talk like you know Warren Buffett's sort of the classic example of the compounding interest you know mental model, but, you know, he made more wealth between 80 and 90 than he did between 30 and 80. Mm -hmm. But it's the same function. And so put ourselves on a path where there are those, you know, extreme compounding returns and just give it time to cook. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree more with that. And I'm excited by the prospect of a system being predicated on incentivizing and rewarding truth rather than however you'd like to characterize the one we have today. You know, it's not irredeemable. There are obviously good qualities, but as you say, like if you're a person who's made the decision uh, for yourself to act with integrity and honesty and, and truth, et cetera, you know, today you go out in the world and the signals that you're exposed to are not, not resonant with that, right? Not commensurate with that. There's a lot of false signals. There's a lot of falsity. There's a lot of dishonesty. There's a lot of, you know, shitty behavior, all that kind of stuff. But to have a society that's far more predicated on those things, and of course, no society will ever be perfect. And you're always going to receive some signals that are shitty, but that are actually, um, you know, uh, yeah, kind of constructed or characterized in the same way as the truth and, and honesty and principle behavior that you're trying to espouse. I feel like that would accelerate that compounding process that you're talking about because you're just so much more exposed and in relationship to it and interacting with it, you know? And, and it's fun. Like I have my dream job. I love this stuff. <laughs> I, yeah. I could, you couldn't ask me to do anything else. Um, yeah. Well, that's the unlock, right? Is when you, when you, when you do the things that are most interesting and meaningful to you with integrity and honesty and truth, like it doesn't feel like work. It feels like you, you, you just get to like, kind of let your soul out, you know, every day you, you, you get to just fully engage in the, in the best way possible. And you don't have to think about what you're going to do. Like you, you just, you just go for it. And, and the, the insights and the, the ideas and the curiosity just comes naturally. And that's, the best way to engage anything. Exactly. You know, I, I think about, you know, I I had this, I had this conversation a couple of years ago and it's, it's kind of stuck with me the whole time since. Um, but it's that for, from, you know, the, the question was kind of like, why do you mind Bitcoin? Um, and not like Bitcoin versus other things, but like, why have you chosen this whole thing at all? Um, and for me, it's like, it, I am able to be uncompromisingly long Bitcoin. I'm long in the business. I'm long in life. I am, I am, it, it is, there is no faking it. There is no pretending. There is no, not, none of that. Like I, I don't spend any time running two inner dialogues. I have one inner dialogue and that is just about how do we build the most incredibly, incredibly exciting, um, business around turning energy into hash, into sats, 
and doing so like in, in just the, the most long-term focused way possible. That's such a liberating feeling, huh? <laughs> I'm just really fortunate, man. Yeah. I mean, Bitcoin is freedom money, right? Yeah. Um, I want to ask you about, you know, this idea of energy usage. And, you know, we agree that a civilization can be judged by how much energy it uses. And, you know, that's kind of one of the primary variables of its success. How much energy do you see the Bitcoin network ultimately using maybe as a percentage of like global energy production in the future? Because as you know, as the price of Bitcoin goes up, as it becomes more part of global money and let's let's make the assumption that in the, in the future, Bitcoin is global money, global reserve currency, hyper Bitcoinization sort of scenario. Uh, yeah. How, how much energy do you think? the Bitcoin network securing the network will require? Um, it's a good question. So, you know, if I were to, if I were to, you know, fully job interview answer you, which is just to walk you through my reasoning, um, I would say number one, that the first assumption that we have to deal with is the fact that 30 to 40% of energy right now is wasted on the line. So because we've got to move the energy far, we lose a bunch. Um, and so I immediately think you reclaim half of that. So call that, you know, you were immediately 20% of all energy produced is just going to migrate closer to the source and is going to be found net new energy. And we talked, you know, we talked in depth about, about bringing people to energy, not energy to people. Um, the, you know, the second piece is that Bitcoin's really, 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 really valuable in the scenario you describe. So that's easily another 10 to 15%. And then to me, the last sort of 10 to 15% is just that the system's over-engineered and, and everyone's going to wake up to the fact that no megawatt hour should ever go unsold. And so, you know, I see a scenario where, you know, Bitcoin, you know, if, you know, make, making the assumption that, that Bitcoin becomes global settlement money, um, I think there's a pretty reasonable case that something between 30 and 50% of all energy produced will mine Bitcoin. Yeah, that's what I, I thought you'd say. And, and I feel like for a lot of people, that would be shocking slash concerning. Because if, if you don't see the value of Bitcoin, and if you, particularly if you don't see how that process would play out as, as kind of you just described it, um, you may think that, well, I mean, what do you say to the people? Maybe this is a better way to characterize it because I, I agree with that assessment. What do you say to people that say, you know, Bitcoin mining is wasteful and, you know, would, would recoil in horror if you told them that 50% of future global energy production will go towards securing the Bitcoin network? Yeah, I think there's two, there's two things they, in, in just, I've had a lot of these conversations with, sure. with people who take the other side of, of my perspective, which is good for me. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, they're really broken into two camps of, of refutation. Um, one of them is, is Bitcoin's useless. And that's not worth, that's not a worthwhile conversation. Um, right. number one, the market has now demonstrated that to be laughably not true. Uh, you know, people are using this all over the world, you know, spend 10 minutes with Alex Gladstein and you will, and you know, and you will, you will never think that again. So, you know, the, the argument that like Bitcoin's this like wasteful, use, useless, you know, you know, drug dealer money thing, like is, is like hilariously, you know, 2012. Um, 
the you know the other side of the argument is okay you know we agree that bitcoin is useful but the negative externalities of the energy that it consumes are are greater than the current and even the future potential usefulness of of bitcoin the money or bitcoin the digital asset or or whatever you want to characterize it as um that's a much more nuanced conversation um the first is i don't think that I just don't really think that people understand how energy works. Um, and like, it's, it's like someone, it's like me trying to say like, you know, I think you're, I think you're, you know, whatever your health, your health diagnosis is wrong. I, mean, I have no idea. I have no idea how these systems work. I have no idea what the, what the proper diagnoses would ever even look like. Like you're, you're asking someone to have an opinion on something where they've been heavily propagandized and don't understand the mechanics of the systems that underpin the opinion. Um, so then we really just need to have an, an, an honest you know, discussion around what is energy, how does it work, why does it work, what does it do, what does it do for us, um, and the fact that, you know, it, you know I, it's funny, I think, about, I think about Marty's perspective a lot um, on these issues. I think he's, um, I think he probably is, is not really where I land on some of this. Um, I think that, I think that, you know, the energy dense future that we want to live in is going to be heavily nuclear. And heavily Nucle hydro nuclear. Yeah, I think nuclear is like this. Nuclear is like as big an unlock for energy production as Bitcoin is for hard money. Um, and that you know, and that you know, if we if we get our if we get our act together and figure out a way to effectively invest in a in a nuclear baseload driven grid, like we're going to think about turning our air conditioner on the same way we think about pressing enter on a Google search. There is no marginal consumption. It just it just is this abundant resource that that you know has been abstracted into oblivion, right? Right. Like like how much data center usage is happening when you press search on Google? No one knows, and and it's not relevant. You know, it, mm -hmm. we are going to get to a place where where energy production is going to feel as abundant as as the Google search I just described. Mm-hmm. And so how does that, you, you said that was kind of counter to uh, Marty, who for people listening, Marty is at Great American Mining, but like, how is that, you said nuclear and, and hydro will constitute most of our energy in the future. Yeah. So if you think about like a solar panel, a solar panel, like the, like the, the key metric for energy, um, so energy generation sources is capacity factor, which is what percentage of the time are they spitting out electrons? Um for a solar panel, that's like 23 or 25%. For a nuclear turbine, that's 93 plus percent. Mm -hmm. It just works. Right. And it works all the time. And it works in a way that like the deflationary effect of technological innovation is going to apply. So uh, I, I think I understand now. You're saying that nuclear will supplant, you know, natural gas, oil, coal, all this stuff. Uh, I mean, I think like from a from a raw material input perspective, like fossil fuels have a place in so many parts of our lives that I, I don't think that there's like this extricable thing. Right. But um, for energy generation. But for energy generation, diminished. like nuclear has an opportunity to really, really sit at almost every area of our consumption. We'll still need to have some other processes. We don't want to be fully dependent on a single process. But mm -hmm. um but I think like, you know, there's a world where it's, it's 80 to 90% of generation. Yeah. You know, back to the, um, the question about is the energy use of Bitcoin 
regardless of what it is now and in the future, justified? You know, if it becomes 50% of global energy production in the future, you know, is that justified? And I think it goes back to our earlier point. Like, if we accept that Bitcoin is truly the only free market instrument in the world because it's the only thing that cannot be manipulated. I mean, oil can be manipulated and any other commodity can be manipulated in various forms. It cannot be manipulated, cannot be confiscated. Then what you have is a pure free market. And what a pure free market tells you, what it, what it generates is the truth of value, right? So if, if that market ends up consuming 50% of global energy, then what it's saying is that is worthwhile inherently, unavoidably. It's saying this market has determined that this amount of energy to feed this market is worthwhile in the most truthful way that any market has ever communicated anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I don't yeah. pretend, I don't pretend to know the answers heading into the question. Yeah. You know, I think, I think we're going to see, you know, we're going to see an enormous complex system of Bitcoin mining operations come to market. Um, we're going to see, you know, Bitcoin go through many layers of transformation between, between now and, and, you know, at least when I'm, when I'm through all of this, um, and you know, I, I don't pretend to know those answers the same way that, like, in you know, in 1995, nobody knew what the best companies were going to be built on the internet mm. were. You know, we we had no idea at all, and and we and we offered an open source, uh, open access, complex information layer to the world, and we let people tinker, and we let people service each other's utility functions, right? Like at the end of the day, that's what we're all here to do. We're all here to spend our time trying to better understand each other's utility functions and build or offer products and services that service those utility functions well enough to get paid for it. And this is going to be a way that we get to do that a lot better. The same way that the internet made a lot of better things available to us. Right. Think back to, you know, think back to your 10 or 15 year old self and think about a car service and what was required to get to the airport. It was hard. It was yeah. weird. It was like this, like very strange. You know, I remember we go on vacation once a year when I was a kid. Um, and and like the process of going from the house to the airport was this incredibly like orchestrated ballet of like. When's the car going to get there? Is it going to get there early enough? We're going to have enough space in the trunk for the luggage. Is, is it going to work? Like there was, yeah. there were big question marks around significant parts of the world if they would actually work at all. Now, that's not a thing. Mm -hmm. The Uber shows up and it takes you where you're supposed to go, and it always works. And so that's going to happen on the monetary and the balance sheet level next. It's just yeah. going to work now. There's not going to be this question mark. Um, and I don't know, and I don't think we, you know, we understand what that's going to mean for us yet. Totally. Uh, just a couple more for you, Harry, and then I'll let you go. But I'd love to hear you speak a little bit more on this balance sheet issue. You know, a lot of miners in the space are maybe having, it's starting to have a different perspective on their balance sheet and the utility of their balance sheet and holding Bitcoin and, you know, all of this kind of stuff. What What's your approach or how do you, what's your perspective on, you've mentioned balance sheet a number of times throughout this conversation. What, what's your perspective on that? 
balance sheets just incredibly important. It's it's this it's this it's sort of it, it's been the forgotten financial statement for a long time. Um, and for those in the audience who aren't aware of like three like three financial statement accounting, it's it's you know your cash flow statement, um, which is the beginning of the month, the end of the month, how much cash you have. The income statement, which is how much did you generate, what did you spend it on, how much did you keep, that ties to the change in the cash flow statement, and then the balance sheet, which is the sum of all of the previous cash flow statements at the end of the month, plus all the different you know hard assets that sit on 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 that balance sheet. Um, balance sheet has been kind of the forgotten the forgotten child of that trio because you know in a in let's just use a traditional venture model, you know the cash flow statement matters because and the income statement matter because everything you're doing measures burn, which is how long can you stay alive with the cash you have in the bank, and secondarily user growth, um, which is a means to bootstrap valuation, right? So the balance sheet was really like, I don't know, ignore that part. You know, we're not really we're not really worried about how much you know how much you know what what assets you've generated and kept, because um, really it's about it's a mixture of valuation and not dying. Um, that's changing. Uh, because I think that I think that Bitcoin's a really important balance sheet asset because it is you know the center of mass that's sucking in value from all these other areas of the world. So if traditionally you needed a business to go up a hundred x, you know, in a in a venture you know situation, now maybe we only need our business to grow ten x and Bitcoin to grow ten x, and you still achieve that same type of like super edge case outcome, which I think is. You know, it's not the not the model that we're operating under at all. But but you're but it, it makes it available to more types of businesses because you're able to leverage um, the positive cash flows from your operation to appreciate over time rather than devalue over time. Um, the the second piece that's uh, more Bitcoin mining specific, which I think is at the heart of your question, um, is you know I think it's I think it's early. I think that I think that we haven't. Um, as an industry, kind of come to a clear understanding of what are the right ways for fiat capital formation in order to produce Bitcoin mining throughput and therefore cap to Bitcoin on the balance sheet. So I think that you know it's a really um, it's a really business by by business specific type of decision around how you manage this thing, which is balance sheet, which is how much are you reinvesting in net new hash, how much are you keeping in Bitcoin. If you keep it in Bitcoin, what are you able to do with it? Um, you know, there's all of these you know corporate treasury strategy things that that are you know really uh, about the relationship between the operator, their stakeholders and shareholders um, that need to be examined on a really you know case by case basis around what's important um, to that group of people. Right. Uh, I want to ask you two kind of uh, current event topics. Uh, what do you make of the China exodus? You know, take that wherever you'd like to go. And what do you make of the ESG narrative that is being uh, bandied about these days? Uh, on the China side, you know, I, I, I kind of go. You know, number one is it's probably really good for Bitcoin. You know, I think sure. if you sure. you know if you heard some of some of our most vocal critics, our most vocal semi-informed critics in the last you know six to twelve months. You know the Mike Greens of the world, and and you know his ilk. You know China capital flight, money laundering. You know capital controls being broken. Well, mm -hmm. you know haven't heard much of that recently. So 
it seems like that significant critique has been defanged and been replaced with tether fud or something else. But you know, the, the, the being being bearish is a lifestyle choice for them. Um, <laughs> but you know, but you know, so I think I think number number one is it changes sort of the the uh, geopolitical narrative around the asset. Um, but second, like I just have a tremendous amount of empathy for the folks who built mining businesses in China. Like a Chinese Bitcoin miner is not a member of the CCP trying to, you know, exert, you know, monetary control over the network. They're people trying to build awesome businesses in a place that had a, a challenging regulatory regime um, and they got really burned by it and it sucks for them. Um, you know, from our perspective, like it juiced the hell out of revenues and it's going to make building our business here in the U.S., you know, even more exciting. Um, so, you know, from, from my, you know, putting my grid hat on, I love it. I think it's going to be huge for us. Um, and we're definitely feeling that tailwind, but, you know, but I think that, you know, any, any time a business dies, not on the merits of the business, but dies on the regulatory landscape that it existed in, like it sucks for the people operating that. Totally. And, you know, I, I, it, it was a surprising move for me. I spent, I spent a lot of time in China and say what you will about governance and all the stuff that they get up to, but they're incredibly pragmatic in how they do things. And I, I, it's amazing to me that the government would not see the strategic importance or the strategic benefit of having hash in the country. You know, they, I'm suspicious of something. I mean, what's happened happened and it seems to be legit. So you got that. that it is what it is. But I, I'm, I was so surprised by the move because, you know, they're wily over there. They are not, you know, they're not fools. And you may not agree with everything they do, but they, they watch things carefully. I'm, I'm really surprised by the move. I, honestly, I think I think it was a more. I think they're just playing a different game. Like I don't think there's. I don't think they're really seeing Bitcoin as the, as a as a. They're not playing in Bitcoin's future state. They're playing in Bitcoin's. Well, that's what state. I mean. I'm. I guess I'm surprised they're not. You know, because I, I feel like it's it's pretty obvious to anyone paying attention. And there's a lot of people over there paying attention. So I, I agree with by. I agree with you. But I, uh, the, the other the other side of it, though, is like I pair I pair that decision pretty closely with the decision to roll back um, some of the the IPO stuff that's been happening in the U.S. Um, you know, I list, you know, you know, love him or hate him. But um, I think Chamath had a pretty had a pretty um, nuanced view of this on a podcast recently where he talked about the U.S., basically exporting capital markets as a service to China and China exporting, you know, basically either a, a user base or a manufacturing capability to the U.S. capital market. And that's like the trade. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that that, you know, the, I think the, you know, the, you know, the governance organism there basically said decoupling that market relationship is higher value than undermining, you know, the Bitcoin market thing. And that it's really, it was really about a sort of a, a multi-step capital control process rather than um, a strategic position around Bitcoin holistically. Right, right. Uh, and what about this ESG stuff that's emerged recently? What, what's your take on this from a Bitcoin mining perspective? My take is that there are some incredible companies, ourselves included, that by any you know by any uh, analysis on the merits are some of the most ESG friendly, proactive, positive business forces in the world. Yeah. And that if you, and that if you approach the issues on the merits, that's not remotely um, negotiable and it's baked into our DNA the same way that um, 
the same way that being, you know, sort of a, a creature of the free and open market is baked into our DNA. You know, we, because, yeah. because we are heavily incentivized to find our way to the bottom of the energy pricing barrel, we're obviously going to find our way to the front of, you know, the, the environmentally, um, the environmentally, uh, uh, you know, forward looking energy generation sources. Mm-hmm. It's an obvious yeah, yeah. match. Yeah, I think a lot of the, the the criticism has been that because, as you say, not only what Bitcoin represents, which is a fair, open, you know, system that anyone can join for storing their value, their life force, transmitting. You know, it's, it's like it in terms of social uh, impact and social good. Oh, it's like the, it's the most social good thing the, you could ever the imagine. Yes, right? and the G don't worry me. The S and the G right. are easy. Right. The E but requires what, discussion. But what I mean is like. I agree. And I think what you said about the E is true, too, and that, you know, Bitcoin will probably be, uh, you know, leading in that way, you know, in relation to other uh, energy intensive industries. But it seems like the critique has been that nothing's going to be good enough because it's not really about the E, the S or the G. It's about, you know, not to to the point we were discussing earlier, not believing Bitcoin has value at all or the or, you know, systems, certain factions of the existing system not wanting bitcoin to succeed and therefore this being kind of a way to hamstring them in some way now i don't know if that is true i don't know if that's going to be effective but that's obviously been some of the critique is that you know it's more about any energy that bitcoin uses is illegitimate because it's worthless it's you know Uh, you know bitcoin has been a trillion dollar asset this year it's currently a whatever 700 billion dollar asset this year the, you know there are bitcoin miners both public and private all over the place that are valued you know in the billions of dollars um i don't think the argument for it doesn't have any value or utility makes much sense you know you look at the on-chain right. transaction volume you look at address count you look at lightning network you look at the the you know the the third layer solutions that are starting to emerge like this thing is super useful. People are using it. People, I'm, I'm using it. Like, you know, if you're going to make the uselessness argument, like, you know, come talk to you, come talk to me, come talk to any of the, you know, hundreds or thousands of people, you know, that we, that we get to interact with, you know, come to Bitcoin Miami and just listen to all the talks. Um, you know, I, I am dedicating my career and life to being at the front of Bitcoin mining in this industry forever. Skin in the game, guys. Like, this is it. This is what we do. And and we love it. Um, and if that, you know, if that doesn't demonstrate the usefulness that, you know, some of the, not not me, but, but many of the brightest minds um, in cryptography and distributed systems and compute and, you know, heavy infrastructure and the dirt dogs uh, are all, dedicating time, effort, and, and energy to, to building out this space, like the utility should be totally obvious. We're spending yeah. our time and our lifeblood on it. Come on. Yeah. Amen, man. I couldn't agree with that more. Um, this has been great, man. I uh, really appreciate the time and, and picking your brain about what is to me such a fascinating component of, of this whole picture that is Bitcoin. Um, have we left anything else? Uh, have we left anything out? Was there anything you wanted to, uh, to share before we shut this down? Uh, my, yeah, the last thing I'll just share is, is like optimism is just such a boundlessly good default position to take. 
like the future is so ridiculously bright and it will only be brighter for the harder we work on these things together. So let's just go get it. Awesome, man. Uh, for people that want to learn more about what you're doing with grid, your own thoughts and stuff like that, is there a place they should, they should find you guys? The Twitter machine. It's where I live. Um, <laughs> so just Harry underscore Sudok. Um, and, and I, I, you know, I, I say this anytime I talk publicly is send me your resumes, come work on Bitcoin mining. Awesome. Well, look, dude, appreciate it. And, uh, I look forward to uh, jamming again sometime in the future. Awesome, John. Thank you. All right, brother. Take care. you found this discussion with Harry interesting. The possibilities which this new method of monetizing and transferring energy represents are extremely exciting to me, and I'll be sure to follow the Bitcoin mining industry closely and bring on more great builders to discuss it. If you'd like to learn more about Grid, visit griid.com, and to keep up with Harry, follow him on Twitter at Harry underscore Sudduck, H-A-R-R-Y underscore S-U-D-O-C-K. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Closing the Loop, and we'll see you next time.